0: Recently these mornings we've been, we have been talking about peace And I'm gonna, God's going to have me uh, and, and have it for all of us God's going to give this to all of us I may be speaking it But I'm just an instrument It's just a little vessel like the rest of us We've been sharing uh, certain scriptures And, and I'm just going to read these And then we'll, we'll get into uh, what God has for us And what he has for us Everything that he's going to tell us this morning and that he has for us, he's already finished about us in Christ. That's our position. Now he wants it to enter into the depth of the inward man in our experience. So in Romans 5, verse 1, it says, therefore being justified. I want us to think about that and I'll think about it with you. Therefore being justified by dependence. Listen, that is incredible. And let us not just... Go by those verses. Let us let us not do that. Let us not let us not do that. Let us just concentrate and listen. Because it's saying, therefore, our being, what is our very being? Our very being is the fact of one of that has no guilt and no condemnation. That's justification. Our justification has to do with the fact that God Himself, number one, has been propitiated Pertaining to the sin question in Genesis 22 and verse 8, and that's why the message of John the Baptist was preparing the way for Christ to come, and he could come because he, in John 1.29, would be the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Not personal sins, sin of the world, so that he could come and preach the forgiveness of sins. And whosoever would receive him, in John 1.12, he gave them the right, the power, the authority, to become the sons of God, even to them that would believe on his, per- his name, which is his person, and his accomplishment of his work that he did for each of us individually. So therefore, being, our very being, is, be- is-, is justification, and it doesn't have a thing to do with ourselves. It's all him. It's by dependence on him. That's why it says in Ephesians 2.8, you and I are saved by grace. And, and through faith, it says, through dependence. And even that is not of ourselves, thank God. But it is the gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should ever boast. Because we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship, thank God. And that work is finished. That work is finished. Why are we on the earth? For God to work into us in our experience here, knowing him here to prepare us with him and uh, to be with him for all eternity in a face-to-face meeting in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, and an intimate fellowship for all eternity based upon the beautiful truth in Revelations 2 and verse 17, where we eat that we begin to partake of the hidden man. A hidden man of the really, in the one sense, is it's, it's hidden. In other words, it's what Christ did and what he was for us and our own individuality. <laughs> we were feasting on him. I can have fellowship with you and you with me, but I can't feast on him for you because I didn't do it for you. He did, and he did it for us individually. Therefore, being justified by complete dependence, we have peace, because the measure of our peace is Christ himself. With God, look at what it says, we have peace with God through and by our, that's very individual, by the way, our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by this dependence, this complete and continual dependence that we grow in, in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, and Into this grace, see, it's this dependence. And when I depend upon God, it releases grace. <laughs> and that's where His love flows through in the light of the scriptures. Into, his, into this grace that causes us wherein we stand. Opposition is we stand. We're stand, and that doesn't change. Our standing as our position it doesn't change. Now our condition or our state may, but it's still not based upon anything about ourselves. And the only reason it would seem like it would be was because we would leave the reality of our position. But he would never leave us. In Hebrews thirteen five, nor forsake us. Into this grace when we stand, and then what? We rejoice in hope, and hope here again is that guarantee that Christ is in us in Colossians 1 and verse 27. So when I read Romans 5, verse 2, I never see it outside the reality of Colossians 1, verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Did he finish the work? Are we hoping that he does? Or did he finish it? That's hope. It's guarantee that we have in Christ of an absolutely glorious future. But right now we suffer. Now to suffer righteously in Philippians 1, verse 29, it is given unto us not only to believe on him, depend on him and receive and have this depth of of this oneness through the power of his resurrection to believe on him, but also to suffer with him. And we suffer with him. And when we do in 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, if, if we suffer with him, what do we do? We reign with him. That's our position. So he brings the reality of our position in a depth of fellowship that only suffering can bring out. Because all his suffering, what did it bring out? The unbelievable glory and majesty of his father, where he too, as a man, yet still God, as a man would go to be with him in the glory. We see the fulfillment of that in John the 13th chapter and verses 31 and 32 based upon the fact that he did finish the work even prior to the cross but went there to demonstrate and manifest what happened. In John 17 verse 4, and that thereby he was glorified. In John 17 verse 5, our glory is the fact that Christ is in us. We don't glory in a thing outside of him. But we are there in our position. That's what it means. That's what God is saying in Job 36, verse 7. He never removes His eye from the righteous. He never removes who we are in His Son being the very glory that He's made each of us. It didn't have a thing to do with us, but it's in us. It's in us. It's not of us or anything we did. In 2 Corinthians 4.7, we have this treasure in these fragile clay jars at the excellency, the excelling power, maybe of God and not of us, but still that treasure in growth, in 2 Peter three verse eighteen, in an experiential growth, rubs off on the vessel. And oneness in the experience is created, which is the equal of how God sees us in our standing and our position in Christ. We have peace with God we have it we have this peace with god and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of god now that peace has been is christ himself in ephesians 2 and verse 14 he is our peace if you read that it's some beautiful scriptures in there that bring this reality out because when we get into the epistle of ephesians it's the height of a heavenly position of an individual man or woman In Christ, risen. (laughs) That's our position. And that's how God sees us. Even when he lovingly chastises us and corrects us. It's based upon, there wouldn't even be correction if it wasn't based upon who we already were. You read that in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and look at verses 4. Look at 12.1, up to 4 and 5, chastisement, and all the way to the end in verse 29. Because he shakes, let me tell you, the enemy, and the enemy wants to shake us from the things that we can't be shaken of. When God does the opposite, He shakes us, so that we can and gets all those things that shake us: bad teaching, no teaching, satanic oppression against believers. Even when we know the truth and then get in new circumstances and situations, is it still the same? Will he still be faithful? And the lie is, Jesus, it might not be. He may not be. Fact of the matter is, honestly, it's not so much that he is faithful. Fact is, he is faithfulness. He can't be anything other than who he is. That is who he is in his very nature. He's faithful to himself, and in himself, he gave us his son. <laughs> How could he not be faithfulness to us on a continual basis? This is what the enemy comes against. Ephesians two ten, uh, 2.8, for you are saved by grace through faith, and even that not of yourselves, thank God. The, the keeping power, the, the dependent, what we're depending on is his, is his keeping power. First 1 Peter 1:5 1, we're kept by the power of God. That power, in First Corinthians one and verse 24, is Christ, the power of God in the wisdom of God. Need power? You have it in him. If you need wisdom? You have it in him. If you lack it, James 1:5, just ask. Because you ask as a child, and what would a father deny? his child, and the life that he gave that child to begin with. It's not of works. That's bad teaching. That's no teaching. That's the enemy. That's the accusation against the Christian, even with with declarative knowing truth. But, But when it's not worked into the experience, do I experience the reality of how God sees me? Do I have his view? No wonder it says... In Song of Solomon 4, verse 7, You are all fair, my love. There's no spot in you. Because that sacrificial lamb, that sacrificial lamb in Leviticus, the first chapter, in Leviticus, we see in the uh, 12th chapter, and we see in Leviticus, the fourth chapter, and, and we can see in Numbers 19, verse 2, there was no spot or blemish in Christ, who's the sacrifice. And He has become our life. Boy, we need to know, don't we? He constantly needs to remind us who He's made us to be in the Son of His love in Colossians 1 and verse 13. So it says here again, For we are His workmanship. Finished. And working it in. That's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation. Well, if if God didn't work it in, what could what could he could be worked out? That answers James and Paul's whole argument, we'll get into that this coming week, about faith that faith that that proves proper works and proper works that prove faith and both are of Christ Himself. Philippians two twelve, work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling. Why? For it is God which works in you. Notice that? Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And if it's his good pleasure, is he relying on me or the pleasure that his son accomplished to him and for you on our, on our behalf? Because it was only him who pleased, and that's who he said in Matthew 3 and verse 17, at his beginning public ministry, Christ, 30 years in obscurity, just like you and I, the mundane things of every day. <laughs> Every single day. Did you know God is using those things to prepare us like we have no idea to prepare us? And we think it's just time. It goes into eternity. It's preparing us for eternity. He said, this is my beloved son in his transfiguration on the mount in Matthew 17, 1-5. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The instant that Peter, who spoke up, and usually, when it's God that doesn't speak first, it's the natural man in us that will do the speaking or the thinking. And what did he do? Let's make. Because Moses and Elijah appeared there. How should I interpret that? Well, who was Moses? He was, he was those of the legal covenant. But they still believed Christ. There wasn't the covenant, their own keeping it. That they were born again. It was the sacrifice that they brought, just like Abel did. He, he, to get in God's presence, he had to bring the right sacrifice. That's why Cain wasn't allowed. He didn't bring the right sacrifice. And that's why everything about the world system is the wrong sacrifice having to do with self and not God. That's what religion is. That's what works are and so-called even Christianity. And when it's not Christ, his person and the accomplishment of his works, it's called Christendom. People, even born again, functioning in a system where Christ isn't. He went outside the camp. In Hebrews 13, you read that, Hebrews 13, 13, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. He went outside that camp where man would seek to get glory that was only his and would lessen them their own selves by not having Him in their proper experience based upon their position. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Whose works? Who finished the work? Whose meat was to do the will of the Father and to finish the works? In John 4, in verse 34. Him and His Father both. Him, his Father. In His Son. and the Son glorifying the Father. In John 5, in verse 17. were on their way to finish the works. And he did in John 19 verse 30, he finished the works. That included the life. That included him as him, himself and his own person as the vine, we as the branches, where he would produce the fruit. Even the fruit is of him and nothing to do with the old. Trying to do something, trying to finish what's already been finished based upon a lie, bad teaching, no teaching. And so therefore, wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, you know, the Jews, and you you, don't have the covenants and the promises and all that, you know, which are still going to be Israel's during the millennial reign. That hasn't been done away with. We don't believe in a replacement theology taking all the unconditional promises in Second Samuel 7, 13, 14, and 15 based upon a plethora of scriptures that God gave and said they were unconditional promises and that he would do that for the nation of Israel as his earthly people. But we're in Ephesians, we're his heavenly people. We're his heavenly people. And he wants us to know that. And, not, and called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, by works. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. How many Christians that are born again function like that? Through bad teaching. Through no teaching. But now in Christ Jesus. And how many? Oh, do we need to know this constantly. You who are sometimes afar off were made near by the blood of Christ. There always has, There's a sacrifice. We draw near because we have the sacrifice Christ. For he is our peace. Notice that? He is our peace. He is our peace who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of petition between us and having abolished in his flesh, his body, by the way, <laughs> didn't have a fleshly nature like we did. He never had a sinful fleshly nature. He had a human nature. Again, there's all kinds of wicked, bad, evil teaching on that. Mm-hmm. Having abolished in his body the, the, the enmity, that hatred that he was dealing with, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for the making himself of two, two, one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto, the bo- uh, unto Christ in one body by the cross, having slain, that's past tense, having slain the enmity, the sins and the hatred and all that that would be associated with it. In himself, you know, when in, in, for instance, in the King James, where it says that he has slain the enmity thereby, the proper way is he, slu- he slew the enmity in himself. Listen. He did that on our behalf. Any hatred that we would have towards God has been crucified. He's our life. God, help us to understand. And then came and preached peace to you. That's what he's doing this morning. He's telling us, listen, it's peace. Remember Do you remember we said recently last week that uh, the Jews were in the upper room in John the 20th chapter. They were in the upper room for fear of the Jews, the legalistic covenant. For fear of the Jews. But Jesus came and they they, they were locking themselves in, living in fear in, to try and keep the Jews from entering in. And Jesus came right through the door. And first thing he said unto them, is peace be unto you. He comes right into the midst of our circumstances. And sometimes the enemy wants to come in and wrapped out in fear, in these walls of fear and worry and doubt, to keep his love out, to keep us there. I know this is true, but I have fear. I know I should have peace, but I don't. And there's fear, but that love that's completed its completed in itself about the individual casts out fear because fear has torment has torment clasus, torture, punishment fear, fear fear He came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh You know what he's teaching? He's given us the message And to them that are nigh, how close are we to God in Christ? You tell me. In our position, how close are we? Can't get any closer. But then when we realize that and rest in Him, we can go out and tell others, you're far off, but His love is so near right now that He's right there for you right now to receive. And He's right now for us as believers. Right near us with that peace to give us. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. That's what he told. Now if you continue in John the 20th chapter. Finally when Mary, she, she went. And she went, she went in fear to the tomb. But it was empty. <laughs> and the empty tomb revealed to her. And yet to be experienced that she was looking for a dead Christ. you're looking for a dead Christ you ever think it's over you're dead your dreams everything your plans and maybe they were yours and not his but his plans don't fail because they're based upon his son he knows the the thoughts that he has the plans In Jeremiah 29 verse 11 they can't fail because his love who and who he is performed them and love in 1 Corinthians 13 8 never fails and never allows fear in And God has not given us the spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1.7, but of power. That power is Christ. He's given us all the power we need. It's not of us, but it's in us to have faith and depend upon. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. And power keeps fear out. So now I have love. And when I have love, when I'm loved, I have a well-disciplined mind. I know how to think right towards God and towards myself and towards others. Saved and unsaved. I know how to think towards them. And even the truth that I that we may preach and teach by the pure grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, even when it's correct, and when those that don't teach correct things, you're not coming against them. You may be against what's, what's being taught, but you're never against them. And the enemy would try to use it to convince them otherwise. <laughs> And that's the adversary. Because in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, there may be a great and effectual door open unto you for the preaching of the gospel. And there are many adversaries. Mm -hmm. And it could be the adversaries that are placed before you that need that open door of the preaching of Christ. And it's going to take patience and (laughs) (laughs) long-suffering. Lifelong lessons until we see him face to face. So now, therefore, you are no more strangers. Doubt? That's strange. Fear for a believer in Christ? That's very strange. Worry? Oh, fear. God thinks something bad about me no matter what? Oh, that's strange. Matter of fact, don't, eat, don't think that it is strange in 1 Peter 4.12 when the fiery trier is to, is to try you. Because all it's doing is... is consuming thats those strange things like fear, doubt, and worry. And that's what the trial's doing. It's to purify your dependence on Him by consuming all those other things that aren't of who you are in Christ and who I am in Christ. And you're, you're no more strangers, but we live that way in this world system in 1 Peter 2.11. We're, pe- we're pilgrims and strangers in this, just like Christ was just like the apostle was, and just like we truly are in Christ in John 17 verse 14 and John 17 and verse 16. You are, what? Foreigners. Strangers and foreigners. Foreign in the sense that we're in this world, but we're not of it. We're not of it. You know, you're a foreign. You're strange. You're foreign. Yes, and thank you. You can be too in Christ. And you can be fear and worry and doubt can be strange to you also. And then you can live as a stranger so those things don't affect you in Christ like he did. Nothing ever moved him by the way. Ever. Now you are therefore no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with with the saints And you are one, by the way. There's not a certain class of special saints that did enough things. We had a sacrifice of a certain saint. Finally, I didn't know what to do, so... And it went... And it was offered up as a sacrifice. And it's no more. And we're the saints, all of us. A saint is is Hagios. Be holy, be a saint. In your, be a saint in your conduct and, make your, and, and have your conduct to be the equal of your character. And when you function in right character, your conduct will be right. That's First 1 John 1, seven. It doesn't preach conduct, something you have to earn to become. <laughs> By making the Lord not only your savior, but you make him Lord, something he was before anyone, angel or man, was ever even born. As much as some would try to separate the Son of God from the Son of Man. And there's all kinds of evil, bad teaching about that that causes a lot of confusion and ends up subverting even the things that are foundational and true in believers in their experience. We are of the household of God. (laughs) Everything about us is of God. That's why it doesn't fail. It's of him, not of ourselves. But he's in us. And thank God. And are built upon, are built up and edified, is the way it should read, by the way. We are built up and edified upon the foundation, who is the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, guess what? Himself. (laughs) In the individual. Isn't that awesome? Being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building, fitly framed together, grows In unto a holy temple, a place for God to dwell in. That's Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching you, admonishing you, teaching you the right song to sing. Not the, oh my God, what am I going to do song? Now what am I going to do song? Nope, the song you've done it. No matter what it looks like by sight, In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. No, in 2 Corinthians 4, 18, no, the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Things that the world doesn't see. They don't have the Holy Spirit as their teacher in John 14, 17. They they can't know Him because they can't see Him. They can't see Him because they don't know Him because they don't have Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit as their teacher. Through a gift, and when that gift isn't faithful, guess what God is? <laughs> Truly, isn't that wonderful? And that answers a lot of questions about a lot of things. Christ is our peace. There's no question about it. He is our peace because he's won it for us in Colossians 1 and verse 20. We've said this, and we want to say it again, the way, we, the way that God's been giving it to us in these Mondays and Fridays especially. And even though when they're put up on the website, when it says men's meeting, and they'll say, it's for everybody, whether it's men or not, but that's what God gave during that time, right? Because we all came from man, and we all came from women, and we couldn't do it with one without the other. <laughs> Listen, the truth of the matter is, is this. There's a lot of bad news that goes around, and I'm going to tell you why. And who's who's the source of all good news? It's Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, is it not? Who's the source of all bad news? Who's behind it? Who's behind every war that's not legitimate? Who's behind that? Every doubt, every fear, every worry, who's behind that? the bearer of bad news. You don't think he wants, you don't think he's going to not attack believers that are taught properly? Oh, don't you worry, and don't I worry. <laughs> he's going to make sure we can experience it because if we don't have that experience, we may be able to declare it. You know, in James 2.19, it says, even the de- demons believe and they tremble. They tremble, not like us. No, they do it in an evil sense they do it in an evil sense but 2 Timothy chapter 2 2 Timothy chapter 2 we can see this and you can read chapter 2 in 2 Timothy 1 through 13 but verse 14 it says this of these things and this is what God's doing with us this morning each of us in the only the way that he can do in each single one of us Of these things, put them in remembrance. Put them in constant remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. That's bad teaching. That's no teaching. That's, of course, a believer can function like that in rebellion and stubbornness in the flesh. And thank God in Romans 8, verse 9, the flesh is in us, but we're not of it. And God doesn't treat us after the flesh. He may have to correct us for living in the experience of it. <laughs> living in the sins that were dealt with. But it's loving chastisement in that case. But give that they strive not. Stop getting involved about words to no profit. Why? Because there's, the for what? The subverting of the hearers. Subverting, what does that mean? It's catastrophe. That's where we get our English word catastrophe. That's where we get that. It means to turn upside down. To turn you upside down. Bad teaching, no teaching. Or even when I know it, the fear comes in. The worry, the doubt. He's trying to turn us upside down. Can he turn us upside down in opposition? No. Can sin even touch that? No. But what about the experience? Oh yeah. That's the experience. To turn upside down. To upset. To overthrow. He wants to demolish us. The thief in John 10, 10a comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Christ said, I am come. And he's coming right now through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am come that you may have life. Not only that life, but grow in, it, in its abundance. In John ten ten, in the V part, to subvert and overthrow and to turn upside down all that teaching that we've that we've already been given, because that word, catastrophe is from the Greek word kata, k-a-t-a. It's a literally prim- primitive primary particle, down, to get us down in the place or time where we are in our experience to subvert and to overthrow us, to turn us upside down in our circumstances and situations in that particular place or time where we are. And it always denotes opposition. Opposition. Distribution and intensity. He wants to oppose us and keep distributing all those lies, the fear, the doubt, the worry, Keep distributing that and he wants to intensify it. (laughs) Just like God, the opposite is so for us in Romans 8, verse 31. He's so for us. He's constantly distributing in our experience the depth of the value of our position in Christ and he wants us to grow in the intensity and maturity of it so that we become no more like children tossed, listen, to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That comes down the pipe. You may not even have to know the terms that they are. You may not have to know what is the term Lordship Salvation. You may not have to understand it in all of its intricacies of lies. You may not understand covenant theology fully. Replacement theology fully. Annihilationism fully. Universalism fully. But you can still experience the negative effects of it. That's why we need positive truth. The foundation built first. The bad news, and that's delivered in Christendom. That Christendom is not where Christ is. The enemy comes in, again, from that word, catastrophe, catastrophe, to twist, to reverse our thinking. I trust you. Now he's going to reverse it. He wants to twist it. And he wants to mix our thoughts, fear, don't worry, with the word of God. To twist, to convert, to turn self back and and away from him. (laughs) Oh boy, because the base of that word, trophy, T R O P E, the base of that word literally means to turn, a turn or a revolution. I'm going this way, I'm trusting you. Then the fear, the doubt, the worry comes in. The enemy's trying to twist us and make us go right. And the only place we go back to is where? The flesh flesh, deeper into bondage. And whatever those Christian circles are, that those bad news, that bad news that seeks to invade Christian circles, this is what makes it extremely necessary to function in God's proper order. Extremely necessary. Because when you function in order with proper teaching, you're building the foundation in believers so that they can be edified with these truths and keep all this other stuff out. Sometimes you can't avoid it. But that's what Paul was warning us. Read Acts 20, 24 to 32. There were men, wolves, and men raised right up in Christian circles. Christians that were either ignorantly or rebelliously teaching wrong things. I think in a lot of cases, it's just plain ignorance. But ignorance, not defined, is still pride in some form if it's not dealt with. And it will lead to that rebellious and stubbornness. And that's what the enemy seeks to do. But all these attacks from the enemy have to do with the person of God's own Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and His work in the Scriptures, His work that only He could and did finish. These attacks from the enemy today, you think, they're not new. They're not new. First century. In the very beginning of first century, when the Holy Spirit had the apostle, the beloved loved apostle who he Holy Spirit did, but he wrote it down, the one that Jesus really loved, special. (laughs) And that's all of us, true, truly. He said, Even now there are many antichrists. There are many antichrists. They're not teach what Christ has finished, and that you have to do something else. That teaching is comes is antichrist. I'm not saying the believer isn't Christ. I'm not saying they could ever be possessed. But they certainly can be obsessed. Psalm 62 and verse 10. When he's not your expectation, based upon what he's finished in 62.5. And when you don't understand these truths and and haven't been taught them. Fact of the matter is, those attacks are not new. 1 John 2.18, even now there are many antichrists. You've heard it says in 1 John 2.18 that it is the last time well, leading up to the last time, back then, what century are we in? That's first century. Even then, there were many antichrists. First John two nineteen, they went out from us. Why? Because they weren't of us. Because if they were of us in Christ, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And that can be Christians who function in the gospel, and if. If our gospel be hid in 2 Corinthians 4, three, it is hid to them that are lost. And can a Christian function in areas lost in their life, holes that haven't been filled with the reality of who they are in Christ and what he's accomplished? Why? Because the God of this world, listen folks, when it says 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world, it's the religious God of this world. All this false, bad teaching. They have been around for quite some time. They are designed by the enemy. Precisely. They're designed by the enemy to keep the unsaved from believing in the person of Christ and to shake the faith of those that are in Christ. Which went on recently, recently. Through not trusting continuously and depending upon him for everyone and everything. We've named them Universalism, Covenant Theology, Laws of Salvation, Replacement Theology, Annihilationism. Those thoughts, those lies, that teaching is entering in and infiltrating the thoughts of many Christians. Again, we experienced it. We have. And we may not define these certain things, even in our own life. But if we live in fear and doubt and worry, it's coming from the same source. Even though we may not define those things. We need to have the definition of them as God sees fit. The reason for this, the reason is because that, that whole crowning thing, that whole crowning experience of all and everything was and is the presence of Christ. Boy, when he comes into the world, ooh, boy, did he shake up that whole world, didn't he? The enemy's world. But he came in. He was the seed of the woman that was promised in Genesis 3 and Verse 15. Born of a woman, born unto the law to redeem them that were under it. In Galatians 4 and verse 4. But he came at God's precise time. His very precise time. But he was not only the seed of the woman, but he was the seed of promise. 2 Corinthians one twenty: All the promises of God in him are yes, settled and amen. 2. For now came the person... Our precious Savior, who answered to all revelations and promises, the ways and types and prophecies of God. He came. Oh, yes, he did. And if you and I are willing, he'll still come right into our circumstances and our experience when we submit our will to him. Invite him in. And he's always knocking on the door of our free will in Revelations 3.20, desiring to fellowship with us, to go through whatever we're going through. It gives him greater glory to go through it than it would be to take us out of it. Furthermore, if Adam had never fallen, Christ did even better than if he hadn't. He brought us to a height. That Adam, if he had never failed, well, the whole race of people, that would never have accomplished. But obviously, it never would have been. <laughs> it never would have been. and never could have been. Because there was only one way for man to be saved. And that was the Lamb in Revelation 13, 8, slain before the foundation of the earth. That's the works were finished. Oh boy, if we can understand this. In Hebrews 4, 3, we need to. I need to. And I need to do it with you. And it's my privilege to do it with you. The works were finished from the foundation of the earth. All there is is complete dependence on it. Read Hebrews, the fourth chapter, all the way to the 16th verse. Beautiful. 16 verses. Beautiful. It was found all because he came in whose person was found all that was worthy of God. Are we? teaching it says you've got to make yourself worthy. you got to make yourself worthy. He died for you but you have to make yourself worthy and in doing so you have to make him Lord. You have to make him what he already is. It doesn't make any sense. All that was found worthy of God and that was suited and met the need of every single individual. But the coming of Christ brought out this. What did it bring out? It brought out the awful truth that man is himself corrupt. He is. He has to bring us to that place. In our experience as believers, so we don't function in that, that we're not. Man man was corrupt. What's that? Genesis 6, verse 5. Genesis 8, verse 21. Not only the thought, but the purpose and design of man continually is evil. God is not in any of their thoughts in John 10 uh, in Psalm 10 verse 4. He's not in any of their thoughts. They thought in their own thinking in Psalm 50 verse 21 that they were just like God. But God said, "I'm going to come and set those things in order." And when you function in order, the next verse says, "You won't have to deal with his wrath." His justice unfulfilled in those that haven't received Christ. Thank God there's no wrath for us. John 3:30. At uh, John 3:36. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 1 Thessalonians 5.9 There is no wrath for us. Christ took it. But plenty for those that are outside of him in terms of salvation. And salvation only. And when he disciplines all of us that are in his son it's not wrath. It's loving correction. It's not making us pay for what his son already paid for. What a weird picture that would be. He would have to be disciplining his son just like us because it's the same life that we have. Man is himself corrupt, depraved. And outside of Christ, unsaved, or the flesh and the believer, loves his own will. But that he hates goodness. That's the flesh. He hates goodness. Divine goodness. And a man manifested and declared in Christ Jesus. Mankind ruined and fallen under the deception and pride of God's enemy has become the enemy of God. You know, he wants the Christian to function, not as God sees them, but somehow now to cause them. Now you're the enemy of God. Who is our enemy? Who is our opponent? Who opposes us? Has God ever opposed us in anything? In all of his nature. We're only goodness, mercy, compassion, truth. And, and as he reveals his nature, his essence and his character in Exodus 34 and verse 6. So as we wrap this up this morning, he has to tell us and bring into our reality even to those who aren't born again, and even those who are born again. We can't serve two masters. Constantly has to teach us that. Can't serve two masters and not be confused. The truth is, is that God, when he manifested himself in the most blessed manner and way that he ever could, in his own son, man under the evil influence of Satan, God's enemy, Became the enemy of God. He wants to make us angry at God. Christians, why didn't you come through? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? If you only had done this. You know what he's trying to convince us and we're going to close. Remember the the parable of the pounds in Luke the 19th chapter? Parable of the pounds and you can read it. In that parable there. About the pounds and, and the money that he gave, the pounds there. You can see that in Luke 19. But by the time you get to the one that had that one pound didn't do anything with it, look what it says. In verse 19, he said, likewise to him be you over five cities, because he had five pounds and he reinvested them by giving himself to Christ so that Christ could work in and through him. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is your pound Here's your one pound. But you know what? I kept it laid up in a napkin. You know why? Because I feared you. I feared you because you know what you do? This is what the enemy was convincing Cain, and he did. You take up that that you didn't lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. You're very hard, you're austere, The word austere is austeros. In the Greek, it means you're rough, God. You didn't come through. Look at where I am. Look at what's happening to me. You're rough. You're severe. You're stringent to my taste now. You're bitter. Like new wine, not matured by age, by his grace and truth. You're hard. And that's what the enemy wants to convince the unsaved and then convince the believer who functions in the flesh. Fact of the matter is, there is this, but in perfect love, regardless of all that thinking and knowing it ahead of time, he still sent his son. Read Romans, the fifth chapter, in those 21 verses 5 verse 6, 5 verse 8, 5 verse 10, so we could experience 5 verse 11. But in perfect love, God still came down in his son. An absolute humiliation and he put himself at the foot of man and what did man do he lifted up his heel in Psalm 41 verse 9 and stepped on him and walked right over him but still he was beseeching man and this is the truth this isn't some fancy fairy tale or some false exaggeration of man's mind but this is God's own word it's his own love for each of us, he did that. That's the good news. The news in God's own recorded word in heaven and in earth. God needed to be propitiated. We brought that out concerning the sin question, and man needed a substitute to be reconciled pertaining to his sins, to be kept from a real and eternal hell. Hell is real. That's another thing. No, it's not. No, there is no hell. God would never do that. There's no hell. And furthermore, if there is, everyone sooner or later is going to get out. Forget the suffering of Christ, the sacrifice. Forget the beam of sea. That doesn't happen anyway because it's not going to be a rapture anyway. All this lying, I'm telling you. These truths that we're teaching are in the minority. In Christianity, the majority of it is is all this bad teaching. In, in certain areas. Not all of it, but in areas. And if a little, what does a little leaven do? Leavens the whole lump. Listen, we have peace. And we, we, we are going to go into it this week. But the fact of the matter is believers seek peace when they already have it. Because they're trying to seek peace. Because really the truth is they want peace. They want to know that they're in a right standing with God. They want righteousness. They don't need peace. You already have it. They need righteousness we went into those things this week. So, Father, thank you for these truths and the continuation of them in your word. We just thank you and praise you. The God of peace. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11. He says to a backslidden nation, to the prophet Jeremiah, I know the thoughts that I think toward you their thoughts of peace, and not evil. To get you ready to experience my settled plans concerning you. And they've all been settled in my son, the son of my love that I've given you to each individual. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you so much. Amen.